Thanks for reading that, Mark. Last week, we had a passage from Isaiah that was just previous to that one in which they're talking about this mountain of the Lord and this, the flood or stream of people who will be going to the mountain of the Lord, going to the top of it, and the things that will be happening. And then today, we get to hear the continuance of Isaiah's dream or vision about what is to come. And it's more what is happening. So there are a couple of different kinds of prophecy in Scripture. There's foretelling and there's forthtelling. Forthtelling is about the things um, that are happening here and now. And then there's foretelling prophecy about the things that are going to happen into the future. And Isaiah's prophecy is this really strange blend of both where he's saying, these are the things that are happening, and these are the things also that will continue happening until it's all in full. And they're waiting, and they're hoping, and they're dreaming about the day that the Messiah will come. And so while we're in the season of Advent, they were also in a season of Advent, waiting for the Messiah to come. And now we're in essentially the second Advent, waiting for the return of Jesus waiting for the fulfillment, like the completion of all of those things that Mark just read out of the book of Isaiah. I'm going to read to you a bit um, from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3, so if you want to follow along, grab your phones, and uh, like if you want to use your own device, it'll also be on the screens behind me, so this will give you time to get your Bibles out and look up Matthew chapter 3, or get your phones out and find it. I'm going to read verses 1 uh, all the way through verse 12. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the desert of Judea, announcing, Change your hearts and lives. Here comes the kingdom of heaven. He was the one of whom Isaiah the prophet spoke when he said, The voice of one shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make his paths straight. John wore clothes made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts with honey. People from Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and all around the Jordan River came to him, and they confessed their sins. He baptized them in the Jordan River. Many Pharisees and Sadducees came to be baptized by John. He said to them, You children of snakes, who warned you to escape from the angry judgment that is coming soon? Produce fruit that shows you have changed your hearts and lives, and don't even think about saying to yourselves, Abraham is our father. I tell you that God is able to raise up Abraham's children from these stones. The axe is already at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be chopped down and tossed into the fire. I baptize with water those of you who have changed your hearts and lives. The one who is coming after me is stronger than I am. I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The shovel he uses to sift the wheat from the husks is in his hand. He will clean out his threshing area and bring the wheat into his barn, that he will burn the husks with a fire that can't be put out. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. May God give us wisdom and courage for interpretation. And may God give us wisdom and courage as we try to apply the truth of Scripture to our lives. One of my favorite things about reading these types of passages, especially like during the Advent Christmas time, is your faces. When I look up, you're like, what? I thought we were going to hear about Bethlehem. talking about threshing floors and burning fire. And This is, um, 
an interesting time. So we're, we're talking about, we're trying to, to talk about Advent as a journey, right? That we started last week and we're on this journey leading up until Christmas Eve and Christmas morning. And we're calling this sermon series that we're in and talking about this journey, Are We There Yet? Because we all know that feeling, right? Like it's either a long drive across or maybe even not a long drive, maybe it's just a 45 minute drive to El Paso or something, but somebody in the back seat is saying like, oh my gosh, are we there yet? Just kind of like, can't take it anymore. And I told you last week, my favorite response when my kids say that, and you should try this out. If you have kids or you have nieces or nephews or neighbors that are grumpy like that, next time your kids say, are we there yet? Say, yeah, 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 we're there. We're just looking for a place to park. And watch the my rolls. Oh, you should have seen what I just saw. It's an amazing, amazing joke. But also, if that is unrelatable to you, I can remember the first time, well, the only time, that I hiked a 14,000 foot peak. Um, I was asking a lot of questions, like, how much further? Every time somebody would pass me, I'd be like, hey, how, how much further to the top? Because the air is getting thinner and thinner, and my legs were getting more and more tired, and it seemed like the trail was getting steeper and steeper. And then those crazy people who jog those trails kept passing me, and then they'd make it to the top and come back down, and I made it like 200 yards, and I'm like, surely I'm at the top, right? Wasn't even halfway. And so then I'm looking at my buddies that I'm with, like, hey, whose idea was this anyway? When we step, set out on a journey, you kind of have to make a decision. Which path are you taking? How are you going? How long is this going to take? And what am I going to do when I start second-guessing myself and this journey that I've chosen? I wonder how these Pharisees and Sadducees who heard John the Baptist preach about repentance and the kingdom of God and make straight the paths. And the way I understand it through reading the Gospels is that lots and lots of people were coming out to hear John preach but to also be baptized by him. Because they were moved, like God was working and moving through this prophetic man, and they, their souls were being moved, and they were coming out, and they were saying, I want to repent and be baptized. And John the Baptist looks at these people, these Pharisees and Sadducees who comes out, and is like, you children of snakes? What? What in the world? Like, what if... What if Doug decided he wanted to come up here and have me baptize him at the end of this service? And I'm like, you child of a snake. I mean, I think he would just turn around and leave. I wonder what kind of questions they were asking about the journey that they were heading out on. Isaiah, the passage that Mark read, lays out the path. There's this path. And it leads to the mountain of the Lord. And as we found out last week, on that mountain, we, we were part of that. We'll beat swords into plowshares and spears into pruning. We will study war no more. Nation will no longer rise up against nation. There is this time when real peace is coming. Can you wait? I, I can't wait for that. Or why can't we get there yet? I'm tired of watching the news cycle and seeing all of the war and seeing all of the poverty and seeing all of the depravity that we 
live with as human beings. I'm so tired of it. It's disheartening and it's heartbreaking. I'm ready for that to happen in fullness. I'm kind of tired of year after year after year lighting a candle for hope and lighting a candle for peace and being like, this is happening. because I believe it's happening, but I'm ready for all of it to take place. That's the path that Isaiah writes about and talks about and that we are on. And today, Isaiah's dream is even bigger. He says there's going to be a time when there is no predator or prey. And we can take that literally, or we can take that figuratively. Because you all know people who are kind of like predators, right? They're always angling to manipulate a situation so that they can get what they want. Maybe we find ourselves doing that sometimes. Maybe there's a time when we feel like we're the prey, or we know people who kind of are the prey. There will be a time when children can walk in peace and have no fear of somebody doing them harm. And there will be a time when women can walk without having to have fear of what men might be thinking or doing. Why can't that be finished and we be there yet? We go back to the Gospel of Matthew. It seems as though what John is preaching is a great Advent message for us. The kingdom of God is at hand. Make the path straight. Continue on this journey. Beat it down. Make it easy for other people to get on. Invite everybody to come walk with you. But you've got to get on the path. So if you're on the wrong path, repent. Now, repent has a lot of thoughts. Of, like, we have a lot of thoughts about it. If I were to ask you, you might assume, I might assume, that you think repent means to say, like, hey, I'm sorry. Or you might say it means like, I'm really sorry. Or it might mean like, I'm really, 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 for real, I mean it, I'm sorry. I won't ever do that again, I promise, I'm done. Like, I'm so sorry and I won't do it again. That's confession. Repentance, a lot of you probably know this, is a term that literally means to turn around go the other way. There's one path. The path that leads to the mountain of the Lord. The kingdom of God in its fullness and all of the righteous things that come with that. But we somehow, sometimes, maybe a lot of the times, maybe all the time, choose our own path and every now and then we cross over onto the righteous path. But oftentimes we're on this wrong path. And so our job is to repent to turn around, to get on the righteous path, to start being about the right things. But it's not, I'm not trying to preach a sermon to say, hey, look, if you cheat on your taxes, just stop doing that. Because that's what Dallas Willard calls sin management. We are not in the sin management business as followers of we're not about trying to stop doing the things. We're trying to get our hearts changed where we don't want to do those things anymore. And it only happens by the grace of God. So all of those things that we call sin, all of those things that you're probably thinking about that are in your life or you know of that are in somebody else's life, those are easier to find, by the way. Um, <laughs> when we think about those things, that is a symptom of a greater problem, which is a heart that is in rebellion to God. 
heart that is saying, I know that path is there, but I like this one better. It's easier, it feels good. Have you ever tried to walk across the side of a mountain? It's really difficult. When you get to the top, to the ridge, it's pretty easy to stay there because it's flat, it's pretty wide, you can stay there. But if you're on the side of a mountain and you're walking across it, we as human beings have the literal um, tendency to take the path of least resistance, which is downhill. And so when I'm walking across the side of a mountain, for whatever reason, I'm in the mountains, hunting, fishing, camping, whatever it is, I have to concentrate to stay at the elevation that I want to be at, not to drift down. And it's not that easy to not climb up because you feel that way. The righteous path takes some intentionality and some focus and some preparation. And what it really takes is repentance. Repentance is not about not doing the wrong thing. Sometimes I think that's what repentance is about. I catch myself thinking, I need to repent of this. And in my head, it's like, I'm going to stop doing this wrong thing. Repentance is way less about that and a whole lot more about the right thing for the right reason. Recognizing and understanding that the wrong things are selfish and are harmful and the right things are where I consider other people and their needs and their, their desires above my own. So what are the sorts of things that we need to repent of? Well, we could think big and large. That's not distracting me, by the way. They're laughing at us, but I love that sound. I love that sound. The list is long of the things we need to repent of. And sometimes it's big stuff that we can't do a whole lot about. And sometimes it's small stuff that we can, and sometimes it's big stuff that we can do our part. So maybe we need to spend some time repenting in a communal way about pollution and climate change or poverty and food scarcity, because that exists here in our city especially. There are a lot of people who don't know exactly where their next meal is going to come from. What about racial injustice? How can we repent of racial injustice? Or the lack of clean water that is happening all around the world, did you know? that we could actually, within the next few months, if we all as human beings decided to do it, make sure that every single person on the planet has access to clean water, but for some reason we don't. Think about that in light of that children's message that I found myself in the middle of. Maybe we need to repent because we have overflowing prisons. Maybe we need to repent because the divorce rate is astronomical, or maybe we need to repent because the crime rate all around the world is out of sight. Maybe we need to repent of violent words and actions that we take part in. But that's crazy to start thinking about that. It's almost overwhelming. Where in the world would we start? So if you're a person who takes notes, Roger, this is where you get your pen out or take something out of the back seat back in front of you or get your phone out 
and take some notes because I'm going to give you three things that I would like for all of us to do this week. The first thing that I think we ought to do is daydream. Should be easy enough, right? Daydream about who it is that God wants you to be. Who do you want to be in light of this Isaiah message and John the Baptist message? Who is it that God is calling your soul to be? And what's that look like for the world around you? For your friends and your neighbors and your family and your co-workers? What's it look like for you to become that person? How does it make their world better and your world better at the same time? So spend some time daydreaming. And then the second thing is find one personal thing that you can repent of. Just one thing. Because I know you, and there's a lot of things. <laughs> Just pick one, Vern. <laughs> Maybe you could repent by repairing a relationship that has been damaged. Maybe you could repent by using your time better. I'm not talking about like being more productive. Maybe using your time better is picking up another spiritual practice or a new spiritual practice or a spiritual practice. So daydream, repent of something personally. And remember, repenting is not as much about not doing one thing as it is about doing something better. Right? It's about getting ourselves onto this path that Isaiah dreamt about. And then the third thing is repent of one thing that is communal. So daydream, personal, and then communal. So maybe the way you practice repentance in a communal way is you volunteer somewhere. Maybe you give an extra donation to your favorite charity. Maybe you spend time getting to know someone who's really different to you, whether that they're different racially, maybe it's their different generation and you want to spend time getting to know somebody from a different generation, or maybe you want to spend time with somebody who's different than you politically. I mean, oh my gosh, what would happen with that? <laughs> Building a more robust community that you are part of. What if we all did that? What if Jesus' people became known as the people who practice reconciliation and build deep, robust community and daydream about what it means like to be in the kingdom of God, but not just daydream about it, then put action to the dream. Friends, Advent is a time for us to remember. Lots of preachers, I'm in one of them, have and will preach a sermon about like, hey, Advent's time to slow down. Quit worrying about your list. Quit doing all that stuff. You should have done all that stuff beforehand. So now you can be like this holy focused time. You didn't do it, neither did I. And so preachers like to preach that because they feel bad about it and they want other people to feel bad about it. <laughs> That's not what Advent is about. Advent is about us remembering that for a long time, people have desired to have more of God in their world, not just their own personal lives, in the whole world. 
They cry out and have cried out forever. And that this God who should just stay in heaven and intermittently smile upon us because of good things we're doing or frown upon us because of bad things we're doing decided to not do what we think, what I would do if I were God. But instead, that God came to earth in the form of a human being named Jesus from Nazareth to show us how to live this dream and to show us what love looks like and to show us what forgiveness looks like and to tell us there's more coming but you are part of the answer. And when you mess up, you don't have the right to be mean to yourself. You've been forgiven. Receive the forgiveness, forgive yourself, and get on the path and get moving. That's what Advent is about. It's a time of repentance, of course, but it's also a time of remembering the grace and love of God. And we do all of that in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.